We're continuing to look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Uh, last week we looked at uh, Mary Magdalene and uh, her interaction with Jesus at the tomb, and now we're looking at uh, something uh, that happened that evening and then a week later in the upper room where the disciples were gathered, the first time with Thomas, the second time I mean, the first time without Thomas, the second time with Thomas, uh, and we, we know this story because of Thomas in large part and his difficulty believing, and we can often say, oh, Thomas, why don't you believe? And then Thomas could turn right back around at us and say, oh, why don't you believe? Let us uh, hear this word from God. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, the sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Because blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's weird, isn't it? Mary saw Jesus. She went to the disciples and says, I have seen him. And the disciples, rather than go out and look for him, sit in a locked room, afraid of what's outside. One commentator wrote, he wonders if maybe they weren't only just afraid of the Jewish leaders. After all, hadn't the Jewish leaders gotten what they wanted? They crucified Jesus the Messiah. But wonders if maybe, yeah, they were afraid there, but they were also afraid to actually see Jesus. They were sitting in that room in fear, and sitting in that room in shame. For these disciples had turned away from Jesus, not only in the garden as he prayed, but as he hung on that cross, only John stayed. The rest of them ran away. And Peter, Peter denied even knowing him. So in his hour of greatest need, these guys were gone. And now he's back. Have you ever had, and I know you have, a situation where something happened between you and someone else and you're embarrassed, you're ashamed, and you avoid that person? Or maybe you're afraid that they'll be angry with you, so you avoid that person. 
you look at your caller ID and say, oh, I'm not going to pick that one up. You see them at, I don't know where you shop, but let's just say Acme. And they're coming down the aisle, and you pretend that you didn't see them, and of course skirt around and go down the next aisle and maybe hide behind the rutabagas or something. Uh, I haven't been to Acme for a while. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. And that's the state of mind these disciples found themselves in, ashamed, maybe embarrassed, afraid. And rather than going out and investigate this claim of Mary, they hide in an upper room. Craig Barnes, who was the pastor at um, Shadyside in Pittsburgh and National Press in, um, or in uh, Washington, D.C., and president of Princeton Seminary, you know, all-around important guy, uh, was writing about this passage. And he said, we're like those disciples, are we not? Don't we lock ourselves away? Not just avoiding people in the supermarket, but we lock ourselves away from the potential of being embarrassed or ashamed. We hide our secrets away so, because we believe that if our secrets were exposed, people would judge us, criticize us, hate us. Relationships would be broken. It's like in our homes, you know, you get their, your lock that came with the house, but then you say, mm, I need a deadbolt too. And maybe, depending on your neighborhood, you might want a chain on that door too. And maybe, depending on your neighborhood, you get one of those little doorbells that has a camera in it so you can see what's going on, which I find sort of creepy, but you know, uh, that's, if someone's looking in your windows, as has been happening in our area, you might want to know that someone's looking in your windows, right? So we protect ourselves. We protect ourselves in our homes, but we also protect our souls. We protect our souls from being found out. And we hide away. Like those disciples were hiding away. And what does Jesus do? Doors are locked, probably deadbolts, maybe chains, who knows? I know there wasn't a camera. <laughs> but Jesus appears in that room. No locked door is going to keep him out of that room. And Jesus stands before those people who had betrayed him, who had left him, who had deserted him, and he says, peace. He doesn't say, I am so disappointed in you. You really hurt me. He doesn't turn his, on his heels and say, hey, here I am, now goodbye, and walk, not out the door, through the door, back outside. He says, peace. And he doesn't just say it once. When they first see him, he says, peace be with you. Showed them his hands and his side. 
And then he says, peace be with you. And that's, you know, in their culture, the Hebrew word, as you know, for peace is shalom. And shalom isn't just peace. It's not just the absence of war. Shalom is a deep sense of well-being, a sense that everything is right and good with the world. When Jesus says shalom, peace to you, he's saying it's all right. We're all right. You're all right. The world is all right. Now, we know that not everything in the world is all right. But what Jesus did in dying and rising from the dead made it ultimately all right. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. If Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, if Jesus has cleansed us, there's no more shame. There's no more guilt, and there's no more shame. Because he's taken that all away. And the one who could judge you better than anyone else in the entire universe looks at you and loves you. This is a very freeing thing, is it not? Now, we all carry probably different degrees of shame, different degrees of guilt, different degrees of fear, different degrees of being found out for whatever it is that people don't know about us. But it doesn't matter to what degree you have um, sinned against God. It doesn't matter to what degree God has just reason to be angry with you. Jesus says, shalom, it's all right. We're all right. It's good. We're good. And as we sang in that song, we look at him and we're confident in life and in death that when he looks back at us, he says, I love you. And then he gives us a job to do. He says to them, peace be with you. We're all right. And as the Father has sent me to bring peace to you, I am sending you to bring peace to the world, to share this message of peace, of everything being all right, this message of shalom, this message of forgiveness, this message that says shame is gone, and I'm telling you to share that with the world. And what is the primary thing that Jesus tells the disciples that their job is to do? Forgive. Is the church around the world known primarily as the forgiving place? As the place declaring the forgiveness of God and Jesus Christ? Because that's what Jesus told his disciples we're to be about. We have the power to forgive. And we have the power to not forgive. And that God wants his church to be known for what Christ is known for, which is forgiveness. And I believe that what he's saying here in verse 23, 23 if you 
forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I believe that what he's saying is, you have the power and authority to bring my forgiveness to the world. And if you fail at that task, that forgiveness is stopped. And that is not the heart of God, to have his forgiveness stopped. The message of the gospel is that that forgiveness is for all who will receive it. And notice, The disciples didn't go out searching for it. The disciples didn't even have time to develop their acts of penance before God, before they saw Jesus again so that they could be forgiven. The disciples are are reminded probably of the story that Jesus had told them of the father who rushes out to see his son who had run away taking his inheritance saying, Dad, I would just as soon you be dead so I could have the benefits of your money without having to deal with you. The son runs away. But then when the son comes home, the father runs to greet him, shamefully running to greet his son because that was not done. But it was done because of the love of this father for his son. Jesus' love for us is that kind of love. He greets us before we can even get our confessions out of our mouths. Now that doesn't mean we don't confess because the confession is more for us than for God. The confession is to say, I acknowledge and I realize that I need to reorient my life in order to experience you more fully. But the forgiveness is already accomplished. The shame is already banished. And yet, somebody wasn't there. Somebody I can relate to. I mean, his first name's my last name, so there's, there's that. But there's also a problem that I, I mean, he wasn't around today, but I think he'd have the same problem I do. I do not like the fact that most of my shopping or a lot of my shopping has to be done online. I want to see it. I want to touch it. Now, even cars. You can order your car online and they'll deliver it to your house. No way. (laughs) No way. I need to see it. I need to walk, do the walk around, see, look for dents, you know, kick the tires. I don't know why, but I'm supposed to kick the tires. You know, you take it to your mechanic, get the engine checked. And most important for me, sit in the thing, see if my head hits the ceiling, because that's a problem a lot of the times, and make it go. Because I like when a car goes. I want to know how it feels when I'm driving it. Karen will tell you I had a similar problem recently when I had to buy my office furniture online. My chair looks so good. It's a beautiful chair. It looked good in the pictures online. The measurements are just what it says. But oh my goodness, is that thing uncomfortable. I had to bring pillows in from home so I I can sit up on one pillow, put another pillow behind my back, and then it's okay. But it's all good because it really does look good. (laughs) But I looked all over. I I looked for office furniture stores. They used to be everywhere, you know? I couldn't find them. There was a great one in Westchester back when I lived in Downingtown, Rubenstein's. 
It's not there anymore. So when I did find office furniture stores, guess what they could do for me? They could order me a chair online. <laughs> Thomas said, unless I see him, unless I touch him, unless I experience him first, I'm not going to invest my life in this risen Christ. So when Jesus appeared, when Thomas was there, he said, see my hands? See my side? Put your hand here. And probably, as an aside said, like you said you needed to do. And Thomas probably wondered, did those other guys blab? But they haven't seen him since. Well, he knows. He knows what I said. And there he is, with the scars still on his hands, with the, the hole still in his side. This is the guy. And his response is beautiful. My Lord and my God. This is who Jesus is. And Jesus' response is, you are blessed. You are blessed because you believe and you believe because you have seen. But how much are those who haven't seen and still believe, how much are they blessed? Now you and I haven't seen him face to face. We haven't put our hands in his side, not that I necessarily would. We haven't seen the scars in his hands, but we've heard from people who did We've seen the movement of his Holy Spirit, which was poured out because he suffered and died and rose and ascended to God. We've seen the Holy Spirit at work. And like the old Gaither song says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. There's a lot of reason to believe There's a ton of benefit to believing. To know that your sins are forgiven. To know that there is absolutely no shame left for you to bear. And to know that he didn't do this just for you, although he did do it for you, he did it for the world, for the created order, that everything will be restored, that everything will be made right, that everything will be good, and that human beings who are in Christ will relate to each other for all eternity without any bit of shame, without any bit of hiding, without anything that separates us from each other or separates us from God. This is the message. Now, is that not a message you want to share with the world? Is that a message that you, do not, that you would want to hold to yourself? No. Folks, this message is glorious. And whether people know they need it or not, they need it. And it doesn't start with pointing out everything they've done wrong. 
It doesn't start with setting ourselves up as better than anybody else. It starts with acknowledging with those disciples that we are by nature objects of God's wrath. We, by our nature and by our actions and by our thoughts, are people who should be ashamed. But because of what Christ has done, the shame is gone. And the message we have to share with the world is, you too are forgiven. Not because of you, but because of him. Shalom. Peace. All is right. And all will be made gloriously right. This is what Jesus returned to assure us of. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this amazing message. Help us to be people who don't hold on to our own shame and help us to be people who do not pile shame or guilt on anyone else. But in acknowledging our sinful state before you and in acknowledging the utter, total forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ. Help us to be people so assured of your love that we are filled to overflowing with your grace and your mercy, and may that overflow into the lives of those around us. Bring back the witness of your church, the witness of forgiveness, the witness of hope, the witness of peace that your church should be known for. And by your Holy Spirit's presence, help us as this church on this corner to be a lighthouse of peace, a lighthouse of love, a lighthouse of forgiveness and grace. First by receiving it ourselves and then by sharing it with the world. Lord God, thank you for our graduates, for the new stages of life that they're beginning, and I pray for your presence to be with them, for you to encourage them and strengthen them every step of the way to continue to look to you for meaning and purpose. I pray that you would continue to work in them so that every decision is made around what will glorify you, what will honor you. And of course, Lord, not just for them, but for every one of us. Reorient our minds, our hearts, our souls around your goodness, your grace, your hope, your peace, that we would be people who honor you with all that we are. And we pray this in the strong and certain name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.